Please turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 12. It's the second book in the Bible, Exodus chapter 12. We'll begin in verse 43, ultimately end up in chapter 13, verse 10. We will pass over verses 1 and 2 and come back to those next week. Exodus chapter 12, verse 43. If you're new to us, we've been studying this book for some time now, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and living with the people of Israel as they are experiencing the deliverance of God and as He is bringing them out of slavery into the promised land and through a great course of discipline in between. And uh, last week we looked at the death of the firstborn, that, that, uh, awful, uh, that awful plague that came on those who refused to receive God's free gift of Passover, the free gift provided by the blood of the Lamb, sparing them from that unnecessary death. And today we come back to something we've already seen. Everything in the Bible is important because God says it. It's God's Word. It's inspired. It's inerrant. Everything in the Bible is important. But occasionally God repeats something a couple of times, three times, ten times. And when we see something repeated, it should arrest us. It should grab us and take us by the nape of the neck and say, listen, this is very, very important. This is the second time we've read the instructions for the Passover meal. The first time we looked at it, we understood that God gave us a Passover and it's continued on into the Lord's Supper, which celebrated this evening, and, and it is for our encouragement. So if God repeats something for our encouragement twice within such uh, close proximity, then what is God saying? He's, he's saying, I want you to look in my eyes. I want you to pay attention. I'm telling you again, I want you to be encouraged by my Maybe you don't need encouragement today. If so, you can go ahead and go to sleep. But if you do need encouragement, you may want to pay attention as God speaks to you again in Exodus chapter 12, verse 43. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, This is the statute of Passover. No foreigner shall eat of it. But every slave that is bought for money may eat of it, and after you have circumcised him. No foreigner or hired worker may eat of it. It shall be eaten in one house. You shall not take any of the flesh outside the house and you shall not break any of its bones. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. If a stranger shall sojourn with you and would keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised. Then he may come near and keep it He shall be as a native of the land, but no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. There shall be one law for the native and for the stranger who sojourns among you. All the people of Israel did just as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. And on that very day, the Lord brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their hosts. Chapter 13, verse 3. Then Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery? For by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. 
No unleavened bread shall be eaten. Today in the month of Abib, you are going out. And when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you a land flowing with milk and honey, you shall keep this service in this month. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. No leavened bread shall be seen with you, and no leaven shall be seen with you in all your territory. You shall tell your son on that day, it's because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. And it shall be to you as a sign on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand, the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep this statute at its appointed time from year to year. Brothers and sisters, the grass withers and the flower fades. but The word of our God stands forever. Let's pray together. <clears throat> oh, Lord Jesus, we pray that you would come into our very midst with the comforting presence of the Holy Spirit, even as you promised. That you would especially bless us in this worship service to know that we have been in the presence of God and that you would lead us through all this day of worship until it is concluded with the Lord's Supper this evening. We pray it in the strong name of Christ and for his sake. And God's people said together, amen. In the church I previously pastored, we had a, a day school like we have here in Presbyterian day school. And also just like our wonderful headmaster, Steve Hancock, who greets our children every morning as they come into school, the headmaster of the lower school, of the school I came from, that headmaster would stand outside the, the, the school doors uh, waiting for the children to arrive by there in the carpool line. And she would position herself at the end of the sidewalk. And every morning, every morning of school, rain or shine, cold or hot, she would position herself at the end of the sidewalk with her arms like this. And every child was invited to receive an embrace. Now, not every child took her up on it. She didn't force them. There's plenty of room to walk around her. Some children, because of a diagnosis, couldn't partake of that hug. They were tactile defensive, and it was just too much for them early in the morning. Other children were the upperclassmen, the fifth graders, you know. And they were too sophisticated, some of them, to receive the embrace. But most of them took her up on it. Hundreds of kids every day. I watched her do it for 13 years. Hundreds of kids embraced. And here's what I observed about those who, who walked by. Uh, those who were especially too cool or too sophisticated to, to partake of the hug, they got out with a grimace on their face. They had a certain affect about them. They had a certain sluggish gait to their step. And when they passed by her, they were just the same. 
But those who took her up on the embrace, who allowed her to pull them into her arms and hug them, there was something mysterious that happened. No matter what look they had before, it was a little lighter. It was, it was a little more bright. There was a little bit of a spring in their step when they left that embrace. It's a curious phenomenon, isn't it? You know it's true. You've experienced it yourself. And this is what the sacraments are intended to do for us. They're God's way of touching us in an objective, tangible, finite, physical way. And they do not leave us the same as they find us when they're received by faith. Our Westminster Confession of Faith, that confession that you have in the back of your hymnal that tells what we believe about the big things of Scripture. Our Confession of Faith in chapter 27 says about the sacraments that the, that the spiritual truths that are, that are symbolized and revealed in the Old Testament sacraments are exactly the same as that which is revealed and signified in the New Testament sacraments. The form of the sacraments changes the Passover to the Lord's Supper. You know that all four Gospels records Jesus saying, this is the Passover that has now become my my supper for you that you are to partake every time you get together. And, and, and that, that transition from the Passover to the Lord's Supper occurs there and the transition from circumcision to baptism occurs in, in the New Testament as well, particularly in Colossians 2, saying this is what circumcision in the Old Testament symbolized and it's the same thing symbolized in the New Testament. It is the grace of God to be very simple, to, be, to reflect what Peggy has already said. It's the love of God. The love of God is, is signified and sealed to us by these outward observable acts. And it's the, it's, it's, it's the embrace of God. The embrace of God in the Lord's Supper must be received by you. Because as our text teaches us, which is connected to the New Testament truth, this is the Lord's Supper anticipated in the Passover, is a sacrament from God. It's a sign from God. It's a seal from God, all in, intended for your and my comfort and encouragement. Now, what, what does it mean that when something is called a sacrament? That, that word's not found in the Bible exactly. It's found in the Latin Bible. It's a, it's a Latin word, sacramentum. It just means mystery. And the old church called the, sac the, the, uh, the sacraments, the Lord's Supper and, and baptism, they called them mysteries. That's the way they referred to them. And it's appropriate because there is something mysteriously, not spooky, but mysterious that, is, that occurs in us in a sacrament where God, through an observable act, makes a holistic impact on us. In various ways, sacraments have been described. They're, they're uh, uh, sermons in picture forms and invisible truth and a visible sign. Those are all somewhat helpful, but let's think about it in a fresh way. It's an observable act that makes a holistic impact. 
It's not just something that touches us physically. It's not something that just touches us spiritually. It's something that also touches us emotionally. It's something that touches us in, a, in an observable way that changes our behavior. It, is a, it makes a holistic difference because Christ is saving us holistically. Now, in that same chapter I was telling you about in, in the Westminster Confession of Faith, sacraments, the sacrament chapter is is chapter 27, and, and in chapter 27, it tells us five things about a sacrament, just speaking generally about the Lord's Supper and, and uh, baptism. It says it does, it's, it's, it's five things. We'll talk about two parts of one, sign and seal later, but for now, just four things. It says, for one, that Christ is represented. Christ and his benefits are represented in the sacraments. It says also that there's a visible difference made between us and the people of the world. It says also that it confirms our position in Christ. And finally, a sacrament engages us into service. Now, let me show you how that unfolds just in this passage that we have. This, this sacramental, these four parts of a sacrament are all realized in this passage. What about Christ and his benefits? Are they represented in this passage? You say, now, wait a minute, Pastor. You've forgotten you're in the Old Testament. Jesus didn't come into the New Testament. I know that. But if you've been studying with us any length of time, you realize that from the New Testament book of Jude, verse 5, it tells us that Jesus is the one who is leading his people out of Egypt. Christ was working, though we can't see him in bodily form, he was working in such a way to liberate his people from bondage in Egypt. And he didn't do that just as a symbol. In other words, he didn't say, well, I hope you enjoyed your liberation from, from, uh, from bondage, but it really isn't significant. What's really going to be important is when I free people from sin in the New Testament. Absolutely not. He's freeing them from slavery, first of all, because he loves them. He doesn't want his people enslaved. But he's also freeing them from their domination in Egypt because he has to get them to the promised land where he is going to be born, where he is going to live, where he is going to die, where he He's going to rise. It's all part of the same story. Christ is working it out. Christ and his benefits are represented in this sacrament of the Passover. I can prove it to you in the New Testament. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. Without taking a breath, Paul says it's all the same. Christ was being represented in the Old Testament and he was given to us for our encouragement in the Old Testament and he's just, he has flesh put on him in the New. Second aspect of sacrament is that it confirms our position in him. Chapter 12, verse 46. You notice we're told that, that uh, it makes these, he makes these stipulations about making sure you eat the whole, we've read earlier, you're supposed to eat the whole lamb. And then he says, break none of the bones, which of course would be fulfilled in the prophecy of Jesus. His bones were not broken. His legs were not broken to hasten his crucifixion in the New Testament because he had already died by his own will. And he said, the whole thing is to be kept intact. The the symbol is simply this. There's to be total identification with this lamb. It's because this lamb was put in your place entirely. This lamb spent the entirety of its life. His blood was shed. And because he was, 
this little lamb was, was substituted in your place. You have been saved of death. That's what we say in the Lord's Supper too. It's total identification. All of Christ has been sacrificed for me and I need all of Christ and I give Christ my all. Third point is there's a visible difference made between the people of God and the people of the world. Chapter 12, verse 26, you remember you said when your children ask you what do these things mean, you are to tell them the Lord brought us out of Egypt. Verses 47 to 49, it says that the, the one who is partakes of this meal is one who has been identified with the congregation of Israel. We've already learned that the congregation of Israel is not ethnic. The congregation, that which is defined as the congregation of Israel, was called a mixed multitude. And here there are other prescriptions for how others are to become a part of the congregation. Foreigners become part of the congregation through circumcision, think New Testament baptism. It's the way you become a part of the congregation of the people of God. Not by any other qualification than profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and identification with him in baptism. And then it engages us in service. He says in verses 6 to 9 that this is to, that this is to inspire you by the, by the mercy of God. You are you, you are to be motivated to respond in gratitude and grateful obedience. That's emphasized in the New Testament as well, where it's called a feast of thanksgiving. Not a feast of, of merit. You don't come to the Lord's Supper in order to earn credit with God. You come thanking Him for the price that is paid and with the anticipation that He's going to strengthen you even further. Now, what does all that mean? Why do we spend so much time on that? Because I want you to understand that God has never changed and never will. God in the Old Testament was a gracious God. One who saved by grace alone. One who was, in, was, was, uh, was concerned about the encouragement of his people. And he was so concerned for them that he not only told them what he was promising them, what he was going to do for them. But he accommodated himself to their finite and physical weakness and said, I'm going, to, I'm going to develop these sacraments so that by an observable act, I might make a holistic impression on you. God has always been the same and always will be. Sometimes we can think, you know, the God of the Old Testament is really grumpy. I'm glad I don't worship that God. And then in the back of your mind, people like the Romans thought, the, 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 the addressees of the book of Romans thought, you know, what if he changes moods again? He was grumpy then, he, and, and then he got nice. And then what if he gets grumpy again? I have a dear friend whose father was in the special forces in Vietnam. He was traumatized by that. He came back from Vietnam like so many others and, and not having the resources or not knowing what was going on that provoked that trauma. He took it out on his family, angry and abusive. 
And then the Lord saved him in midlife. And my friend remembers his, his father going from this angry, abusive man to a, a docile, gracious, contagiously joyful evangelist. And, and through his most formative years, that's what he knew his father to be and into adulthood. But, but then his father had dementia toward the end of his life and he reverted to that old personality. He didn't have the power to, to bring the abuse that he once did, but it was painful for his family to watch. And some of us think that God is that way. Oh, he's nice to me now. He's gracious to me now, but what about tomorrow? And what you must understand, the reason God gives you the Old Testament it's so that you'll, you'll believe him when he says in the New Testament that Jesus Christ, the revelation of the Father, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the sacraments continue into the New Testament in an even more gracious, even clearer, simpler fashion to make that same point. God loves you. Now, a couple other things you have to know about sacraments to make that even more precious to you. It's a sign. The Lord's Supper is a sign. Now, we know what signs are. They're symbols, but we stop there and to our own detriment. Now, let me give you something about the, uh, something of a sacramental principle the old, the old church used to call. And the sacramental principle, you can just write this down, Romans chapter 4, verse 11 Romans chapter 4, verse 11 is where we get the sacramental principle. And that is just this, that, uh, that the Lord's Supper, baptism, is both a sign and a seal. There are two parts to it. It's a sign and a seal. And Paul is making that argument in Romans chapter 4 because it comes on the heels of Romans chapter 1 through 3 where he has said at the beginning that the justified will live by his faith. He makes it very clear in Romans chapter 1. These people who are struggling for assurance of faith, we're not sure that God's going to like us anymore enough. We're going to find if we're going to go to heaven or not. And he says, let me just tell you up front, you will not be saved by works. No one has ever been saved by works. And no one ever will be saved by works. You are saved by receiving the gift of righteousness from Christ alone by faith. That's the only way you're saved. And then he goes through chapters 2 and 3 and he convinces everybody, Gentile, Jew, everybody, you're sinful. Everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and the ways of sin is death. And then he comes to chapter 4 and he's arguing with people who think, oh no, I'm going to get to heaven by my works. I'm going to get to heaven specifically by keeping sacraments like circumcision. And he says, can I just remind you of something? Paul says, let me just remind you of some chronology. You know your Bibles well. You know how Genesis is laid out. Let me ask you, where was, in what chapter was Abraham circumcised? And they would have said, Genesis chapter 17. Not really, chapters hadn't come by then, but just go with it for a while. Genesis 17. That's where Abraham was circumcised. And then when he said, now where was it... Where, where did it say, where does it say Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness? Oh, Genesis 15. Was, was Abraham circumcised after he believed God and was credited to him righteousness? Or did he believe God 
and then get circumcised, and then it was credited to him as righteous. So they, had, they could only answer one way. He was, he was saved in chapter 15, and God added the sacrament of circumcision in chapter 17. And then Paul explains in chapter 4 and 11, as a sign and a seal. It's first of all a sign. The Lord's Supper is a sign that follows on faith in Jesus Christ alone, which results in salvation. He gives us a sign to encourage our obedience, but it's a sign of something very specific. It's not just any old sign. You don't just come and say, well, what a nice sign. What a nice symbol of blood and body and No, it's a sign, it's a symbol of the comforting presence of Jesus Christ. It's a sign, it's a calling card, it's an indication, it's a visible representation of the spiritually real presence of Jesus. If the Lord's Supper is served in a biblical way, the gospel is preached, It's set apart as something that is a holy service to God. And then people are invited to come who believed in Jesus Christ. Then you may know beyond a shadow of a doubt, Jesus is there. Something like this. I was at a a conference last year, very large conference, lots of people, multiple thousands of people in a very large convention center. And in the middle of the first presentation, a friend of mine, a very close friend who is another pastor, texted me and said, are you here? Smart aleck that I am, I said, I am here, but where is here for you? And he said, here at the conference. Are you here at the conference? Yes, I'm here. Well, I couldn't see him. There are lots of thousands of people. He's kind of a small guy. I couldn't see him anywhere. But that text told me he was there. And it brought me joy. And we, we made a plan. We made a plan to meet at a certain place and go to dinner that evening. He's a life-giving friend. But you see what, what happened? That text was not merely a symbol. That text was a symbol of his life-giving presence. That's what the Lord's Supper is. It's a symbol of his comforting presence. Do you need to know that Jesus is with you? Then Jesus is so kind as to say, you can't see me, but I want you to know I'm here. The Lord's Supper is an indication of Jesus' presence. He could not send you a text and be more realistic about it. That his presence is with you as really as the scent of the cup and the taste of the bread. Finally, the Lord's Supper is a seal. A seal. Now, in the old, the old days, before internet and before texting, what a wonderful era that must have been. It took a long time for communications to get from one place to another. And an official uh, a document, uh, you know, would have to be carried sometimes over hundreds of miles over days 
months to get to the recipient. And, and so by the time I got there, you can imagine the recipient, if this was an official document, you're going to want to know, is this really, is this really authentic? And so the authenticating sign was that the, that the official would melt some wax and drip it onto the paper and then put his or her signet ring into it, a, a ring that was unique to them, and they would stamp it, and you could feel it, and you could observe it, and you knew tactily this is authentic, an authentic and official document. The Passover served that way for the people of God. It was not just a symbol of His comforting presence. It was the assuring sign that their sins had been forgiven. Not just a symbol of comforting presence, but an assuring sign that their sins had been forgiven, that God was not angry with them, that they had spared death. Now, how did it work that way? Was it just something that they said, let's think real hard about this? Is, did death visit our home or not? They didn't, it wasn't that way. They knew by the very act of eating, death had not visited their home. They would not be having a joyful meal had their sins not been forgiven, had the death angel not passed over their house. The very act of eating confirmed to their consciences, this is real. Our sins have been forgiven. God has spared us. The Lord's Supper does the same thing for us. Now, you, you, you may find that hard to believe. You say, you mean taking, taking bread and drinking the fruit of the vine, that that somehow does something for me, transformative for me. It's empowering encouragement. Why is that so hard to believe? Don't we have the studies that show the mysterious, empowering encouragement of someone's presence with someone who is unconscious. Let's say, I, you know, I can, you couldn't be encouraged by anybody unless you were consciously able to perceive that they're there. But we have the studies that show that somehow someone's presence with someone who is unconscious can have therapeutic value. We have the studies that show that, 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 that orphan babies, babies in orphanages, those that are, that are picked up and held and embraced, fare better, do better, thrive over those who are never touched. We have the studies that, that cardiological studies of showing that if, if you have a, if you have a if, if you have a if you, if you have a grateful state of mind, your heart beats at a certain rhythm, and it can have some kind of electrical impact on another person's heart in your company. Put their heart into a healthier rhythm, and conversely. If you're a bitter, cynical, miserable person, the rhythm of your heart is disturbed and it can disturb the hearts of others. It's not good. It's not good for your heart health to hang around ordinary people. It can be good for them. 
to be captivated by grace. So we, we believe that because it's scientific. So why is it so hard to believe that God has ordained an observable act that can make a holistic impact on us can help you break a pattern of besetting sin that can, that can encourage you out of a slew of despond, that can, can cause you to, to have renewed gratitude to respond obediently to Him. It shouldn't be hard to believe He's the one who created you body and soul. Receive the embrace of God because it's a sacrament, it's a sign, it's a seal. Chris Say in his book, The Gospel According to Jesus, said that on one occasion someone attended his church and uh, he, he was a regular attender, but he came up to Chris Say who was preaching on the kingdom of God. And he said, I have to tell you a powerful experience I have had every week since I came to Christ, a powerful experience I've had of the kingdom of God. Here's what he told his pastor. Pastor, the kingdom of God is already here. Every Sunday, I used to be in the same neighborhood. I used to come down here to a bar called Emo's, and I'd start every night with a drop of ecstasy on my tongue and wash it down with Bacardi 151. That's what I did Sunday after Sunday. Now I come to a worship service instead. And I finish the evening with the body of Christ on my tongue. And I wash it down with the blood of Christ. This is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is here in the person of Jesus Christ. And he knows it's hard to believe it. And so he stoops down to you. He positions himself at the end of your day with his arms spread to worship the sacraments. He says, come, let me embrace you for your encouragement. I'm going to bring you out. I've been bringing you out for centuries and I will not finish until I get you there. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for fulfilling your promise never to leave us or forsake us. Help us not to leave the same as we came in, converted, We're freshly encouraged, we pray in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen.